0: Well, good morning. I the chance to, to meet you out in the lobby. My name is Harold Bjerg. I'm the, the campus pastor here at Grace Point Church, and uh, it's great to have you here this morning. Uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4, It's page 1188, if you're going to use the, the Pew Bible there in front of you. And as you do, um, I'm just really excited about what God's doing in our church, what uh, we think is going to happen in the, the fall here as we go. Going Like, for instance, the, the Sunburys hosted a, um, a neighborhood barbecue at their house uh, last night, and the Hearts, who live in the same subdivision, they co-hosted. They had about 20 or so of their uh, neighbors over at their house, just building some intentional relationships, getting to know who their neighbors are, see what's going on in their lives, see if there's anything they can do to, to help them and encourage them and be a part of their lives and show Christ uh, to them. The Cayos are hosting one on August 25th, and the Pococks are going to co-host that with them, and so be praying for that that's coming up. Um, we've got a prayer retreat coming up this Saturday, and again, it's kind of something we've been talking about in-house here, but um, praying about what's going to be happening in the, in the fall, uh, praying for our church family and just uh, some challenges, health issues, stuff going on in our church, so we just want to be praying for people. Uh, and barbecue coming up. I know we keep talking about this but I'm just really pushing this I want the Grace Point family to be a part of that and and be there uh, we're going to be brainstorming about what it is that God may want to do uh, in and through us when it comes to our our neighborhoods and our community uh, we got baptism coming up on September 9th and so if you haven't been baptized um, and and we understand scripture to teach that if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you've received God's forgiveness then you Indicate that or you show that by being baptized uh, fully immersed in water, and so we're going to be doing that on September 9th. Um, We're working on a mailer, we're going to be sending out another mailer here in a few weeks. We're going to be doing some yard signs, Um, so we want you guys to put those in your yard. Um, We've got a grow class starting September 16th. In October, we've got um, Northwood Fear happening. There's going to be a spa night for ladies. Yeah. Woo, the guys are like, yeah, I want to do that. No, ladies, it'll be awesome. I'm sure it will be. Just let you guys, guys, we're working on something a little bit more, can I say that in this world nowadays? A little more manly um, than that. Though I know some of you guys get massages, but I'm just saying, um, don't feel bad about that. And then like, we're doing a party at the point. We've, we are going to do it in August, we've removed it to October. And there's a plan that somebody was telling me about, kind of like a, a taste of Grace Point kind of thing. So on a Sunday morning, we have food, and music, and then the the point what was to me uh, Harold. Maybe you could just keep your message to ten minutes. You know, just a taste of Grace Point. Well, oh no, yeah, we need to be, yeah. Thank you very thank you very little, Greg. I uh, Appreciate that. Jeez. Anyways, like I said, I get paid by the Word, so I get up here and I talk and talk and talk. But anyways, we want you to be a part of that if uh, you, this is your first time visiting us or if you've been attending just kind of a little bit. Those would be some things you want to be a part of to get more, more um, a feel for who we are and what we're doing and what we think God wants to do in and through us. So be praying for those things as well. Well, we're continuing our series, Blueprint, and we're, we're learning about how God wants us to structure and organize our church, and we're uh, four chapters into this, six chapters. This is a letter that the apostle Paul wrote to one of his uh, trainees, one of his apprentices, who is now taking over a church in the city of Ephesus. And the city of Ephesus is—it uh, made me more like Las Vegas. And so, you know, Timothy is serving there, working at a church, helping that church grow. And so, Paul is giving him some instruction about how we should structure it, how we should organize it, what are some of the responsibilities and purposes, the focus for the church, and that kind of stuff. So we've been looking at that. Um, let me, but let me ask you this. If, if you, not that we want you to, to pass away, but just imagine this. You're, you've died and you've gone to heaven, and you're standing there talking to Jesus, and Jesus says to you, I just want to let you know, that I, I really appreciate how you lived your life on earth, and I really, I considered you one of my worthy servants. Wouldn't that be a cool thing to hear from Jesus Christ? You know, all that he went through for us, and uh, living his perfect life, dying on a cross, and, you know, being God, and he didn't have to do that, but he chose to do it because he loves us, and in order to ensure our salvation, he took our sins on his body and died an eternal death for us, and then he says to us, I really considered you a worthy servant. To me, that would just be awesome. And really, I hope one day, Lord willing, he would say that to me. Well, that's what we're looking at here this morning. Paul's giving Timothy some details about what it means or what a life looks like that Jesus would call a worthy servant. I was trying to come up with a more modern way of saying worthy servant, but couldn't, so we're going to stick with what the Bible says, which is a worthy servant. Um, so let's, uh, let's get right into it. We're going to look at, said, 1 Timothy 4. I'm going to read the whole chapter, and then we'll go back and kind of work through some of these things and look at the five things that uh, Paul identifies here, again, as a, what a worthy servant would look like. And so verse 1 says this, But the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, explicit, explicitly says that in latter times, and when he's talking about latter times, it's, it's the time after Jesus ascended to heaven until the time he comes back, which is future to us. So he's talking about our day and age here when he says later times. So some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Now Paul is getting pretty... Hardcore here with the words he's using. He's doing it for a reason. There's a a purpose behind these strong words that he's using. So they've been paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars, those are the false teachers, Uh, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. There's that word, a good servant or a worthy servant. Constantly nourished on the words of faith and of a sound doctrine which you have been following, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. And I'll explain that. Some people are like, hey, hey, hey. Who you call an old woman? You know, I'll explain it. Dial it down. Right? On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying out of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them, so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching, persevere in these things, for as you do, this you, will, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. So Paul gives quite a bit of information here. We're not going to get into the weeds. Uh, if you want to get into the weeds, Thursday night Bible study, that's when we kind of pick things apart and look at things in more uh, closely, you know, close detail, but the first thing he says here is that a worthy servant or a good servant of Christ Jesus points out false teaching. Now, he's talking to Timothy. Timothy's a pastor, and so he really needs to be kind of one of those guys who's pointing out false teaching. But this letter is not just to Timothy. It's to Timothy and the church at Ephesus, and then the church at Ephesus, once they're done with it, they send it off to the other churches in the in the area. Okay, So these are these letters were actually circulated amongst all the churches at the time, and so it's for us today. It's not just for me as a pastor, but for you as a church family. And so he says, in pointing out these things, it's kind of interesting, that word there means to be kind of gentle, kind of come alongside of somebody. So when, you, when somebody is in the church family who's starting to maybe go a little off track in what the Bible teaches, it's this idea of coming alongside and putting your arms around them and just saying, hey... I got a concern. I'm hearing something going on. Now, when Paul was telling Timothy about the false teachers, he said, put a stop to that. He was a little bit more demonstrative, a little more authoritative, saying, the false teachers should know better, so you need to go at them and you need to tell them to stop teaching. But those who are following them, you're supposed to do it in a little more gentle way. It's not to be something that you give them in a headlock, okay? (laughs) You're kind of, because, again, the false teachers should know better. The church family, especially back then, because they didn't have the Bible in their homes, and you need to be a little more gracious with them and encouraging them, not yelling at them or forcing them into anything. But even in pointing out that, the false teaching, uh, you have to understand that not everybody is going to listen to you. And sometimes as a pastor, that kind of gets a little frustrating. You, know, you spend some time with somebody, pour into them, helping them understand what the Bible teaches, and then they say, ah, oh, thanks. I had that happen numerous times, and, and usually what I get is kind of, hey, thanks for your opinion, and then they go on, on their way. So it's kinda, it may be kind of frustrating, but the Holy Spirit is saying that there's going to be times that where some are going to fall away. And so we have to understand that that's going to happen. Some people are just not going to take what Scripture teaches. They want to do their own thing, think about things the way they want to think about it, and, and that's fine, and, and we can't you know, be down or, or frustrated he said, "Some will fall away from the faith, and it's a critical point that I think we need to make." He's not saying that somebody who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ and received salvation from God, because again, salvation is a gift that God gives. He's not saying that they start going off track and lose their salvation; that somehow or another, God unadopts them from His family or kicks them out of the out of the family. These people are people who begin paying attention, in other words, they're rejecting the truth of Scripture, and they're paying attention to the things that a false teacher is saying Scripture is teaching. And so they're not Christians listening of salvation, it's people who probably are, are not saved, and they're moving away from it. Now, we would hope that a person who is truly saved, who has a relationship with God, they're already going to be doing some of the things that we're, we're going to talk about here, and that is be in the Word desire the word, understand what the Bible teaches. And so even if they move away from God's word for a time, they're going to come back. But there are those who are part of the church. We've talked about this numerous times. There are people who are part of a church family who are not followers of Christ necessarily. Okay, And so these are going to be the people that are being pulled away because they're paying attention. They're, they're making a, a, a personal conscious choice to reject what Christ is saying, what Christ is teaching in the Bible and doing whatever it is a, a false teacher is saying needs to happen. Now in Ephesus, the, the false teaching that was kind of going on there, two big ones evidently, was that some of the guys were saying, hey, you, you can't get married. And there's a lot of discussion about what they mean there, why that is, but most come back to the fact that in um, 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about marriage and singleness and all that kind of stuff, and he basically just says this, that... I wish that you would be like me, in other words, that you would be single, because that way you're free, in a sense that, like for me, if I ever have to do anything, if I feel God's leading us to do something in our family, I go to Kim, and I have a conversation with Kim, and then we'd kind of talk about it, and as our kids got older, we'd actually go to them, and talk to them, and and we'd all kind of talk about it. I wasn't just free to go make a decision, okay, but if I was single, I got nobody to worry about, right? I just go ahead and do my thing. So Paul's saying that that's a good thing. Some people were taking that and then creating a whole false teaching upon saying it's don't be married and just serve God. Just you shouldn't be if you're a Christian. You shouldn't be married and you should be single and serve Christ that way. In spite of the fact that Paul said that both marriage and singleness is blessed by God, and um, you know that obviously God is the one who. Created marriage, um, so it's kind of a weird thing. But you'll see that, by the way, just, I might get off on tangents here this morning. You'll see that with false teaching a lot. They take a little bit of truth and then they run with it, okay? And so there's some truth to that whole signal list, but if you study Scripture and you understand Scripture, you realize that that's not even, why would you even say that? It's pretty clear in Scripture what God thinks of marriage. He's the one who came up with the idea. But again, Um, as my wife says, you know, any excuse is a good excuse when you're making it. So any reason for not believing God's word is a good one if you're, you know, if you want to use it. Then the other one is that they're supposed to stay away from, abstain from certain foods. Now, this comes out of two areas, probably. One is in in the law of Moses. Israel was supposed to stay away from uh, pork products and that kind of stuff. there's other stipulations and dietary stipulations that they were not supposed to do. And I won't get into the whole thing. You can study it out for yourself. But when Jesus came, Jesus said that all that was done away with, that we didn't have to follow the law anymore. We didn't have these dietary restrictions anymore um, on us. Paul also says it here, and then Peter experienced that whole, he, had a, he was praying and had a vision from God, and, the, and the, it was uh, basically God dropping a sheet, and then the sheet was all the different kinds of foods that they weren't supposed to eat. And he's saying, go ahead and eat. It's okay. The law is not... In effect. So that was one of the things. The other thing is the whole, the whole spiritual discipline of fasting. There's times where we may take a day or so and, and not eat and just focus in on God. And the whole idea there is I'm not going to take in what I need for my physical body. I'm going to let the Lord take care of my physical body because I want to worship Him and I want to seek Him. And maybe it's for a special, you know, finding out something that you want, you know, for God to kind of lead you in or something like that. So you may be spending some extra time in His Word and in prayer and foregoing food just to kind of focus in on him. Some people would take that and say, well, if you do that, then you should do it all the time. <laughs> you, know, um, you know, maybe I should do that more often for my weight. But um, again, so those are a couple of the, the interesting things that were going on back in Ephesus. Uh, today, we have a bunch of different ones. I'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, so how does a worthy servant or a good servant know what is true and what is false? Well, Verse 6 says this, And pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, what's he say next? Constantly nourished on the words of faith and sound doctrine. So we have to absorb God's Word. We need to be in it and absorbing God's Word. We need to be all about reading Scripture, studying Scripture, knowing what Scripture says. Because if you've worked in the bank industry, which I did years ago, you know, and I think it's still the case today, the tellers were supposed to study what a real $100 bill looks like. That way, when a counterfeit comes along, they'll see what a counterfeit is. You don't study the multitude of counterfeits. You study what's real, and then that helps you understand what is a counterfeit. It's the same thing biblically. We don't go out and we don't study all the different kinds of false teachings that are out there. We get into the Bible. We read the Bible. We know what the truth is, and then all the different wrong teaching that's out there We'll be able to identify. And that's what he's talking about. Nourishing, it's a great word. We're just nourishing ourselves with that. We, we eat healthy food, right, for our physical bodies, and he's saying we need to eat healthy food for our spiritual bodies, and that is reading God's Word. Interesting, he says, pointing out these things and constantly nourished. And you'll see this throughout, actually throughout 1 Timothy, he uses present tense, present tenses, which means a constant thing. So we need to be constantly in God's Word, we need to be constantly reading it, constantly studying it, constantly knowing what God wants for us, which, by the way, is a cool thing, right? That the God of this universe has written us a book, and he wants us to read it so we can know him. That, to me, is awesome. That's, like, beyond incredible that we can do that, that he wants to have that relationship with us. So we need to be in it so that we then can constantly see what's going on around us that's not truthful. And so we study We listen, or read, and then we evaluate. Is what I'm hearing, and what am I reading, is it really what Scripture is teaching? Well, here's what I know about Scripture. Does it line up? And I'm talking with what I'm saying, you guys. Feel free, anytime you hear me say something wrong, feel free to challenge me and say, hey, listen, I'm kind of curious about this or that or or what you said here, and and give me an opportunity to explain what I'm thinking and what, what I believe Scripture is teaching. So the worthy servant, or the good servant, absorbs true teaching, which helps him point it out, but then he takes the next step, and he refuses the false teaching. So he understands what God's Word is saying. He's hearing or reading something that may or may not be true, and if it's not true, Paul says, have nothing to do with it. So verse uh, 7b, the second section there, uh, or actually verse... Seven A, the first section, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. That's a strong statement. He's not saying, you know, oh, it's okay if you kind of hear it and you kind of just let it hang around and that kind. No, get rid of it. Have nothing to do with it. If it's not what Scripture is teaching, have nothing to do with it. They're fables. It's a myth. It's a lie. It's a fantasy. It has nothing of spiritual worth that you want, that God wants for you. And when he says there, it's fit only for old women, it's, it's actually a, a figure of speech back in the first century, which means it's only for those who are ignorant. Because back in the first century, the vast majority of women were not allowed to get educated. Some did, if they were wealthy especially, they were, they were not allowed to be educated. Nobody wanted women to have any kind of power, education's power, right? And they didn't want that. So they were kept down, except in the church, where we just learned last week, Paul was saying God wants women to learn. God wants women to sit, listen to God's word, to study God's word, to know God's word so they can be educated and know what God wants for their lives. And so he's not being real critical here. He's just saying this is for people. People who follow after false teaching are people who don't know Scripture, because if they knew Scripture, they would realize it's false teaching. They may know a verse or two here and there associated with the false teaching that they like, but they don't know the entire of Scripture and understand what the whole purpose of Scripture is. So that's why we need to be in it. And that's why we need to refuse false teaching, not allow it to, you know, to dabble in it. In fact, if you do, you're doing exactly what the false people who are following false teachers, you're paying attention to it. If you're allowing it, you're kind of thinking about it, you're beginning to pay attention to what's false and what's, what's wrong. I've talked to some people about this, and um, like even some family members, and I'll be like, hey, you know, that guy's actually teaching something that's not scriptural. I know, but I love the music. The music is just awesome. Or I'll hear this from people, and I'll be like, hey, you know, that, that's not really what scripture teaches about such and such. I know, but. Man, when when he preaches, it's such force. It's just, wow, it's just so powerful. Okay, all right. Um, You know, I don't see anything in the Bible saying, listen to a person because they have such great force. You know. um, Anyways, so we need to refuse false teaching. We need to put it away. It's of no spiritual worth to us. Then he goes on, and he challenges Timothy in 7b to do the next thing, the fourth thing, and that is to pursue godliness. He says this, on the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, for bodily discipline is only of little profit, which at this point the pastor says, and that's why I don't exercise. (laughs) Anyways... um, But godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. What is? That godliness holds promise for this life and the next. For it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. So the fourth thing that a a worthy servant or a good servant of Jesus Christ is going to do is that they're going to pursue godliness. Now, we've talked a lot about godliness. It means likeness to God. This, this what you see in front of you right now, is bierganess. Okay, my last name is Bierga. And so this is bierganess. not saying it's good or anything. I'm just saying it's what it is. If you see my family, and some of you guys have met my brother who's here, He's got beurganess about him too. He doesn't have much hair. He's a little bit wide in the midsection. Uh, Evidently, we sound an awful lot alike. Um, You know, that's beurganess. What Paul is saying, and what God is saying through Paul is that we are to have a godliness about us. So when I go through life... I live like a birga, okay? I can't help it. I talk like one, I think like one, I act like one, I buy a house, I tear it apart. That's what birgas do, okay? So what God wants us to do as Christians is to to look like him, to act like him, to live life the way he says to live life so that we represent him well. Fitness people eat well to get the energy they need. We are to eat well, God's word, in order to... Fuel us to live His way, and that's living His way is godliness. It has godliness for this life and the next. And again, I'm not going to get into detail here, but if you're studying God's Word, you know the benefits of living a godly life in this earth. You know the promises that He gives us, you know the power that He gives us, you know the wisdom that He's offering to give us, you know the strength that He wants to give us, and of course, the next, right? We get to live in heaven with God for eternity. And if we live a godly life, when we get to heaven and we look behind us, we're going to get to see, or maybe around us, we're going to see all the people that we've influenced for Christ. We're going to know every time that we just threw out that little seed at people and, and loved them the way Christ wanted them to uh, for us to love them, and to help them the way Christ wanted us to help them, to to tell them the gospel, and some of whom we got to pray pray with, and they accepted Christ, and, and others, it was like three or four people down the road that they finally accepted Christ. We're going to look around, and we're going to see all the people that we were able to influence for Christ, that Christ used us to influence. Again, it's a trustworthy statement. He uses this phrase several times and. Last one. It was in chapter one, verse fifteen, where he talks about that Jesus came to earth to save sinners. He says we're to labor and strive for this. Labor has this idea of working to the point of weariness and exhaustion. Strive. The Greek word actually gives us the word we have today of agonize. It means to engage in a struggle. It's kind of an athletic competition. We're working towards something. It's there's a goal that we're working towards. And why do we work to the point of uh, exhaustion? Why do we Work so hard and and push for this? He says, because we fixed our hope on the living God. And that talks all of what we've talked about so far. We fixed our hope. In other words, we've put our trust in God. That when God said, You you trust and believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, if you do that, then I promise I'm going to forgive you of your sins. I'm going to declare you not guilty of all your sins. I'm going to adopt you into my family, and I'm going to then use you on this earth to represent me. And when you die, I'm going to make sure you go to heaven because the Holy Spirit's living in you. And so we fix our hope on that. So if God's got our future in hand, and if he's got our present life in hand, then we just work for him. We just serve him. We do what he wants us to do. We live life the way he wants us to live, even when we think it might not be the best idea or when other people are giving us a difficult time about it, we still do it. Because God's the one who died on the cross for us. None of our friends who may be making fun of us for how we're living our lives would ever die on the cross for us. It wouldn't make any sense anyways for them to do it, but they would never do it. But God himself did that. And the last thing is this, verses 11 through 16, that a worthy servant or a good servant of Jesus Christ serves the church family. That's what he talks about here in, verses 11 through 16, he says, prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. Show yourself an example for those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through the prophetic utterance with laying out of hands by the presbytery. In other words, that's the elders kind of getting around him and saying yes, confirming that he has a spiritual gift probably of teaching or prophecy or something along those lines where he's teaching biblical truth Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them, so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you ensure salvation for yourself and for those who hear you. And so, Paul's saying, the other thing that God looks at, Jesus looks at, when he says about a servant, if he's good and worthy, is that he commits to serve his church family. Obviously, Timothy was a pastor. That's how he served the church. And so in his case, he is to to prescribe and teach these things. Prescribe means to command, to order, call to obedience by one in authority. To teach means passing on truth. So where Timothy and Christians are supposed to come alongside of people who might be going down the wrong path when it comes to teaching and, and be kind of gently persuade and encourage them, when it comes to teaching the truth, when it comes to teaching what God's Word says, he's supposed to do it with authority. Not Timothy's authority, but God's authority. And he's supposed to teach it with authority. He's supposed to be strong about it. He's supposed to be confident with it. He's supposed to teach that truth. Both are present imperatives. It's something that they, he needs to constantly do. People are constantly getting bombarded by false teaching, especially today. TV, radio, books, you know, podcasts, it's all out there. I mean, there's a bunch of it. And so it's constantly happening. So me as a pastor especially, I've got to constantly be putting out fires and showing people where they may be moving from where God is, where God is teaching them. So he's to constantly do that. It doesn't matter how old Timothy is. doesn't matter how young or old. It's, it's his life that will show whether his teaching is true or not because back then they didn't have the Bible. They, a lot, most people didn't have the Old Testament in their homes. They certainly didn't have the writings that we have, the New Testament writings. And so they had to look at someone teaching and say, okay, I see what they're doing, I see what they're teaching. Does their life follow what God's Word says, or does their life follow something other than that? And Paul challenges in verse or chapter 6 to look at the false teachers in their lives. And so Timothy was supposed to be an example his ministry was to read the Bible, to exhort, and to teach people. So he kind of repeats himself. He's to give, his, give attention to this. He's to take his time to read the Bible, to know the Bible, and then to teach it. Again, they didn't have the Old Testament Scriptures in their homes necessarily. Probably maybe some wealthy Christians may have had the Old Testament Scriptures, but most didn't. Many of them didn't even know how to read. And so he was supposed to read it so they could hear it. Then he was supposed to expound on it, to exhort. That means to challenge people to follow what God's Word is saying. Then he said he's supposed to pour himself into his service. So, I mean, look at these words. He uses take pains. It has the idea of thinking through and planning and strategizing. It's planning at praying and planning. It's, it's work hard at doing this to, so you know that you're getting God's Word taught accurately. He's to be absorbed in them. It, it, the phrase really means be in them. It's to pour himself into his, his service, to make his service, in this case teaching, part of who he is. And then the word progress, it's a military term. It means an advancing force. It's, it's a steady, determined advancement in becoming more and more like God in his service. And then the last he says, to serve with this kind of commitment, would ensure his salvation and the salvation of those who hurt him. Now, I, I need to explain this, because this if you're just kind of looking at it, you might go, whoa, wait, I thought, you're not supposed to, I thought you're not supposed to work for your salvation. That's exactly right. The Scripture teaches that salvation is a gift from God given to us when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. That's salvation. But Scripture also teaches that as you live out your faith as you live life, those who are truly saved, it calls the doctrine of perseverance, those who are truly saved, truly have placed their faith in Christ, will live that out, will show that. Yeah, there's ups and downs in a person's life, and times where they may fall for a while and come back, whatever, but the trajectory of their life is to follow after God, to do life God's way. And it also teaches that we, we show our salvation, we work out our salvation, is how Paul phrased it in Philippians. And so that's what he's saying here. When you do this stuff, when you show yourself to be a good servant of Jesus Christ, you're demonstrating that salvation. You're showing that you're saved, that you're, saved, that you're representing Christ. And then, of course, it makes sense that as I'm doing that, as Timothy's doing that, as you are doing that, then those who see that or are impacted by that, then they will either come to Christ for salvation, or if they are followers of Christ, that they're going to be motivated and encouraged to live that life as well. So, five things, five qualities of a worthy servant of Jesus Christ, or a good servant of Jesus Christ, and I'm not looking for a show of hands, okay? If you did three of the five, go to the right. If you did, But in your own heart, in your own mind, as you evaluate that, and you're looking at that, and say, okay, Lord, I hear what Pastor Harold's talking about, and we've just walked through it, Now you have to determine whether I'm a false teacher or not, right? Say, Lord, where am I at? How am I doing? You know, how are you doing when it comes to pointing out or recognizing what's false teaching? Are you watching TV or listening to podcasts or listening to the radio, and when somebody says something, are you catching whether that's false, if that's wrong teaching or not? And if it is, You know, are you paying attention to it? You know, there's a bunch of false teaching I said. I mean, there's some that are out there that we have all heard about. You know, uh, do X or Y or Z and you'll be saved. It's not just faith in Christ, it's faith plus something. I was listening to a radio um, station this week, and they were talking about one of the things that they do at the church and how that thing, I won't get into what denomination it was, but if you do that thing, in that thing is your salvation. I'm like, wow, that was pretty blatant. <laughs> That's pretty in your face. But I thought faith in Christ was where I found my salvation as a gift from God. But let me give you a couple things to look for and think about as it pertains to false teaching. First of all, does the teaching enhance the teacher's prominence, finances, or control over people? Can you only truly know biblical truth through his or her teaching. If you are watching TV, listening to a radio, podcast, whatever, and you're listening, discerning what that person is saying, if if that person is elevating themselves, Paul says that false teachers are conceited, they elevate themselves, they're the ones with the deeper meaning. And If you listen to me, you'll understand the deeper meaning. But if it If it promotes them, if it promotes their financial situation, do some background research on the people on TV and the radio. Find out how many houses they have. Find out how many airplanes they have. Find out if they're asking people to give so they can have an airplane to fly around and do God's work. You know, you need to be looking at those things. I'm maybe pushing you in a direction to kind of think about there's a controlling of people associated with false teaching. Will the teaching help you impact others for the gospel, or will it be a self focused thing? I'm telling you guys, when I've, I sit and I watch false teaching, just so you know, because um, it's my responsibility. It is funny. Uh, sometimes Hagen and I will sit there and watch it and we'll just <laughs> start laughing. But, anyways, every time, I've seen it, every time that they're teaching something about Scripture. It's always, it seems like it's always some Old Testament, obscure passage that nobody really reads anyways, but they're going to take it and they're going to make it the churches, a promise to the church, Christians, and it always seems to have something to do with sending them money and me then getting a bunch of money from God that I can use for myself because God wants me happy. You know, there's little bits of biblical truth in there, by the way, people. But there's a lot of wrong teaching in that. And so if their teaching promotes you getting something for you, for your kingdom, and not for you to get something from God to bless somebody else in order for them to come to Christ, man, be discerning. Check into that a little bit more. Make sure that they're teaching what Scripture is teaching. How are you doing in nourishing yourself? And what God does teach in Scripture? I know you probably eat two or three meals, maybe more a day. I typically more. Are you spending daily time in God's Word? Are you reading it? Are you studying it? Are you knowing it? And if you're like, "Well, I'm not really sure," let me do a little self-promotion here. Going on, not for me, but for our church. Greg and Justin are going to start on September 16th our Grow class. In the grow class, one of the elements of it is to learn how some real basic ways of reading and studying God's Word so you know it for yourself. You can sign up for it, 9 o'clock, for four weeks, 9 o'clock Sunday morning, starting on the 16th, sign up for that so we have enough manuals for you. Because you guys, listen, and I've said this before, we want you guys to know the Bible. I don't want you guys sitting out here not having any clue what the Bible says. It doesn't do us any good as a church. Because if you know Scripture, that means God's going to be working in your life. And if God's working in your life, he's going to grow you and develop you, and you're going to make more of an impact for Jesus Christ. I want you guys to know Scripture. I do what I can to help you do that, because I want you guys to have that. To me, that's a, the, the most awesome thing. Hagan and I, uh, and then Justin kind of joined us a little later, but we were, we were talking yesterday, I don't know, probably two hours on the back porch, about God. You know, and just doctrine and stuff like that. So, as we're getting ready, we're like, wait, we, we got to get going for the day. I, I looked ahead of on and I said, hey, just, I'm glad we're talking about God's Word. I'd rather talk about that than, you know, you getting a girl pregnant or you going out and getting drunk or involved in drugs or even talking about football. I'm telling you, you sit down with somebody who's actually studying God's Word and you have that conversation, there's nothing like it. It's awesome. It's just, it's cool. And You don't want to do it. What do you do when you hear false teaching? You continue to listen, to it, listening because the person's entertaining to listen to. Do you continue listening to it or reading it because you like the music? I, you know, we need to get rid of it. God is saying, have nothing to do with it. Have nothing to do with the teacher. Move away from it. And, and even people today who are who maybe several years ago were solid scripturally. I know some, now as I'm listening to them, I'm starting to question, where are they going? They're starting to, em- they're starting to emphasize things that are beyond the gospel. They're, they're emphasizing scripture or doctrines even that are not bad in and of themselves, but when they begin to emphasize them, it begins moving into the potential for false teaching. We need to be aware of it. Are you pursuing godliness? Are you taking in God's Word, and is it transforming and changing how you think so that when you go out into the world, you act differently? In your families, in your neighborhoods, at work, are you becoming more and more like Jesus Christ? And then lastly, have you, have you committed to serve your church family? And if you call Grace Point your church family, have you committed to serve somewhere? and be a part of what we're doing, and, and seeing what God's going to do. And it could be a weekly thing, or it could be just as we have events that you sign up and help with those. But the, the point is, have you done that? And if you are interested, if you're not and you're interested, we've got a little serving survey we have people fill out just so we know who you are and what you want to do, and maybe where you've served in the past, so we can kind of help you do that. But that's part of being a servant of Christ is serving his family. We want you to, to do that here at Grace Point. Well, that's a lot of stuff, I know. You're probably floating right now with information. I would encourage you to go through that passage this week and read through it and check me out. Make sure that I I taught it right. But the five things that make for a good servant of Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Let's go ahead and stand and I'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for today. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the opportunity you give us each week to get together and to worship you as a church family, to to sing about who you are, to fellowship together, and hopefully encourage each other in our faith as we do that. I know the men's leadership group met this morning, and so those guys got together, and they're talking about doctrine and theology and and all that good stuff that has incredible impact in our daily lives. And Lord, I, I just pray that in our church family here, that we would take seriously knowing your word so that we can know you and we can take that out into the world and we can represent you well and see people come to Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate reason why you came, is for us to have a relationship with God, to restore that relationship, make us right with him, to represent him out here on this earth, and then one day, the incredible gift of spending eternity with him in heaven. Lord, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being with us. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.